Hello everyone and welcome back to a whole new season of the Replex podcast. My name is Gabriel Hedengren, I'm still here and I'm happy to be joined with my Europlex colleague, David Ibad. Hi David. Hello, have a good day everyone. You're really glad to be back, really glad that our podcast is still back in 2024 because it's a absolutely crucial year for the elections all over the world and here in Europe in particular. Yeah, definitely. There won't be uh, an issue for us to find things to talk about. I guess before we get going into all the meaty stuff, this season our podcasts are going to be once again sort of split in half. So the first half is going to be Javid and I chatting through in a more briefer format what we think are the most interesting developments. And then we'll have one longer form interview with a fascinating guest. And this first episode... David and I spoke with Finnish political scientist Janerita Korpi about the Finnish presidential elections taking place later this week. So stay posted for that. It was a really, really helpful and clear interview with Janne. So after that, you'll feel completely briefed ahead of next weekend's crucial vote. But yeah, I guess just starting big picture, Javid, you know, what do you think? Obviously, I think most people will know that it's a massive year for elections, What's on your mind? Like, what do you think will turn out to be the most crucial? Well, the thing is, on the one hand, when we look at the global picture, so we have, first of all, crucial elections in the US, India, the biggest democracy in the world, Russia, although still, if there are elections, which means that it should be covered, then something interesting may happen. Apart from that, when we look at the European continent closer to our area, we'll see that there's going to be European Parliament elections in June, which are really absolutely crucial. Then there are also like national elections in North Macedonia, Slovakia, Austria, in the United Kingdom, they have like local elections. Turkey has local elections, which are also absolutely crucial, especially after the last year's presidential ones. Then there are legislative elections in Portugal. Romania has a huge electoral year, like the presidential ones, the maybe the parliamentary ones, the local ones. Georgia, Finland, Croatia, etc. So yeah, it's, it's the, the year promises us a lot of interesting developments that should be covered. And me and Gabriel are obviously going to tell you about all of this year as well. Yeah. And I know that obviously last year was also a big year for elections, lots of big countries. Uh, I know that in a number of cases, there's still sort of political fallout from them, especially in in Poland, right? Exactly. Poland has a new government after the elections under the Prime Minister of Donald Tusk, who also used to be the Prime Minister of Poland between 2007 and 2014. Briefly, what's going on there is that there is a standoff between the government and the president, and the president Andrzej Duda is from the Law and Order Party that used to be in the government before. The newly elected government ordered the arrest of several former government ministers. The government suspects them in power abuse. For some time, they found refuge in the presidential palace, but now, like from what I recall, they're arrested at the moment, which brings Poland to this political deadlock over the disagreements between the government and the president. And it's also like an interesting trend to follow in the coming months. Yeah, definitely. I know also sort of in this similar bucket, obviously, is what's going on in the Netherlands with the government there after that shock election with the far right sort of surging and they're still surging in the polls. I guess the 
Other big news from this month so far has been in France. So President Macron sort of shocked everyone by changing up his prime minister from Elisabeth Bone, who resigned suddenly earlier on this month and was then replaced with the current prime minister, Gabriel Attal, who has sort of been a sensation, I guess, He's 34, so he's the youngest ever prime minister. He is the first gay prime minister. And funnily enough, the new foreign minister is his ex-partner as well. So that's like a funny twist, quite French. (laughs) Similar to Macron, he started out in the French Socialist Party, but then joined Macron's liberal centrist party En Marche in 2016, which I guess was a good time in terms of being in the movement from the start. He has been the education minister until now, so he has a bit of a profile in France. And he's seen as sort of more siding with the right on a lot of issues. But that said, he is relatively popular. A recent poll found him to be the most popular cabinet member with around 40% approval, which these days is quite good (laughs) all around the world. And a snap poll by Le Figaro, which is the main sort of right wing paper in France, found that a large majority of people approve of this change. So I think Macron is hoping that this will sort of revitalize his government, revitalize the division of his movement, which in reality is actually quite old and right wing in terms of the electorate. So I think this is sort of a new face. And I think it's all sort of leading towards these European elections coming up, which will be a massive showdown and a massive test for him, especially with Le Pen and Rassemblement National still sort of going strong and challenging them. There were some other ministerial changes as well in France, but I think that's been something that's been a lot of buzz around. So like in France, I was reading in media over the last couple of months that Elizabeth Bourne can be sent to resignation because apparently she was considered as left wing or like too left wing by some circles. And when it comes to the new prime minister, he's also dubbed as a potential future presidential candidate in 2027. So maybe it's going to be some sort of a successor for Macron. We'll see how that one goes, obviously. Yeah, but he's burst on on the scene regardless. I feel 2023, most people would have known about him outside of France. And now I think he's this new thing. So you're right. Let's see where that goes. But also, from what I recall, there are literally some interesting developments in the UK, Gabriel. Could you please tell us about that one? Yes. So the UK, I guess, is in an interesting position. You mentioned earlier in terms of elections in 2024, there's not a date yet, but it's quite certain that there'll be general elections in the UK, probably this autumn in October, November time. So everything's sort of gearing up towards that. In terms of the last month in UK politics, it's been dominated by this massive scandal tied to the country's post office. And it's actually been going on for decades now. And in short, the post office installed IT software from the company Fujitsu in the sort of late 90s. And there were lots of bugs with the software and a lot of the sort of sub postmasters, which just means the people that run the small sort of post offices that you'd go to on your street, that kind of thing. They had all these bugs in their shops showing that they had been running deficits when they hadn't. So 900 sub postmasters have so far come forward and admitted that 
they've been falsely accused of basically stealing money from the post office. And this was all captured in a TV drama, funnily enough, that was very sort of impactful and showed like quite grave miscarriage of justice, where the post office has literally taken these employees to court, accusing them of theft, sort of knowing beforehand that it wasn't their fault. It's got to do with the way in which the IT system has been handled. So that sort of led to these political response, which is quite interesting, again, because this has sort of been around for ages, but this drama on TV and the attention it costs has finally made sort of politicians talk about it. Like the head of the post office, Fujitsu, they're all being dragged to parliament to answer for what's happened. And I guess it's sort of setting the scene for this election year. It feeds into a lot of the sort of narratives that are being used by the opposition Labour Party against the government around overreach, us versus them, sort of corruption at the heart of government, that kind of image that the current Rishi Sunak government, I guess, has been trying to fight against. It is sort of turning into another crisis for UK politics. Obviously, politics moves very fast. So while this is sort of dominated this month, let's see if it has any sort of impact on the eventual elections. I, I doubt it. But I'm sure, as always, UK politics will continue to be tumultuous throughout the year. So this is just sort of a depressing start to that. Well, sometimes it takes a TV show to elevate the salience of some issue, right? Yeah, I guess it's bringing the emotional aspect of it, like seeing the impact it has on an individual, like that will actually get people to care rather than sort of reading the news or whatever, where there's so much else competing for that empathy and that sort of attention, I guess. So yeah, it's, it's very interesting. And props to the journalists and the directors who worked on that because, yeah, it's really had a big impact. So it's a data visualization in a nutshell, in a way. <laughs> yeah, using actors. Yeah. And uh, Germany is also going through a tumultuous time, Javid. Exactly, it does. So in Germany, actually, there were protests all over Germany against the radical right surge. So various NGOs, uh, center and left-wing parties, organizations, non-profits, etc. Activists have gathered up in main squares of Frankfurt, Hamburg, Berlin, and other major German cities. It all comes as a background story. Like uh, If you'll see the opinion polls in Germany right now, IFD is becoming increasingly popular. It's after the CDU, the Christian Democrats, that's the second most popular party at the moment. Apart from that... IFD is also extremely popular in Eastern Germany, in former Eastern Germany. And from what we see, it's basically the most popular party in these areas at the moment. The problem is that there's also like another development happening on the other edge of the political spectrum. So there's a party called Die Linke, which is like the left-wing party in Germany. And the party leader, Sarah Wagenknecht, quit the party with some of her supporters. And she's starting a new one called the Sarah Wagenknecht Alliance for Reason and Fairness. In German, they call it Bündnis Sarah Wagenknecht, like Sarah Wagenknecht's union. In the ideological spectrum, what they do is that she's economically left-wing, 
they support like a higher minimum wage and other like uh, economically salient issues uh, to support the German working class. But at the same time, on the cultural spectrum, she's conservative. She has increased the rhetoric on anti-immigration, especially like anti-NATO to seize the support for Ukraine, etc., in a way, it can be seen as, uh, you know, like there's like this political family in Europe called Christian left. Parties that are left-wing on the economical spectrum, but right-wing on the cultural spectrum. So we're seeing like a German iteration of such political party family emerging there. Based on media, some opinion polls suggest that she may even get like 10% of the vote, but still, it's not clear. Sarah Wagenknecht used to be the party leader for a really long time. She was born in the communist East Germany and was a member of the Communist Party. And then all these parties emerged into what is called now as the left party. That's why, like, on the one hand, we see this, apart from IFD on the right surgeon on the polls, there's also like this left wing populism, if we can call it correctly. So German political system right now is under crisis on the both sides of the political spectrum because of various types of populism. And also it's all fueled by the current government's inability to pass the budget because they wanted like to spend another 60 billion euros from the COVID funds. But then the German Supreme Court ruled that they cannot do that because it's not really related to any emergency. And obviously all these problems was in the government and the disagreements between the liberals and the Greens in the ruling coalition. It also kind of leads to a further popularity of both left and right wing populism. And I guess, like you said, the IFD, they're sort of more and more becoming sort of the second party in the polls, whereas the first one is the Christian Democrats. So the government coalition, I think there are some polls where they don't even have a third of the electorate at the moment, which is obviously makes them very, very weak. So it'll be interesting to see how they respond to that. And again, while in Germany there aren't national elections, there will be the European elections that I would guess could have national implications in both cases uh, later this year. So it'll be fascinating to see, especially this new sort of left-wing contingent, like how they do, I think, because that's still much less sort of proven. I think we know that the far right can do well in these elections, well, but to see, it'll be interesting to see what, what, what they can achieve. And also like to make the matters even worse, so there are also like the ongoing farmer protests in Germany. There were footages from the protest actions where farmers were having banners saying we need to support IFD, which even fuels the situation even more. And even like within the coalition government, there was a in-party vote between the FDP, the Liberal Party members, on whether we should stay in the coalition or not. And it passed narrowly, like by 52% of the party members saying that we need to stay, remain in the coalition. So it's a bit like a shaky situation for the current government in Germany. And finally, I guess, we'll talk about the shaky situation potentially at the European Council as well. So the EU Council leader, who's Charles Michel, he's connected with the Liberals at the EU level, he's announced his plans to leave his job early because he wants to run to become a lawmaker in the elections later this year for the EU Parliament, which has sort of opened this can of worms of finding his successor. They have until July, basically, to appoint a new one. Otherwise, it'll 
fall onto the Belgian Prime Minister Alexander de Croo, who's also liberal. It still seems very much in the air, all these sort of former, mainly centrist, centre-left prime ministers, ex-prime ministers, sort of priming themselves for the role. I don't know how much you follow this, Shabbat, but I guess it'll be something to discuss sort of throughout the year. Well, what is the most problematic here is that if they don't have a new European Council leader, this summer after July, Viktor Orban can be the head of the EU Council, which can be a bit problematic in Brussels. But hopefully there are certain candidates and most likely it will be avoided, this scenario. So at the moment... The candidacies that are in talk are the former Portuguese Prime Minister Antonio Costa, the current Danish Prime Minister Mette Frederiksen, the former Swedish Prime Minister Stefan Löfven, former Italian Prime Minister Mario Draghi. And I've even, like, since I'm based here in Romania, I've read like on, in the local media that even the current president of Romania, Klaus Johannes, whose term is ending this year, he is also considered as one of the candidates for the job. So probably we'll have a clearer image by the EU Parliament elections, I assume, in June. Exactly. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see if maybe Draghi comes through again, like he's done in Italy a number of times as the centrist bureaucrat compromise. But we'll see. Thank you, David. I think that's it. I think now let's head over to our chat with Yane about the Finnish elections that are coming up very soon. Exactly. Cool. Gabriel here again. Europolex is run by volunteers. We aren't funded by any big donors and everything we do, including this podcast, is only possible with the help of our supporters and a lot of our hard work that goes into it from our ever-growing team. And we always want to do more, partly because it's fun, but obviously for you, our followers as well. This is why we've started sharing exclusive discussions, special content and more via our very own Patreon. If you don't want to miss out, please do support us on Patreon from as little as one euro a month. Thanks in advance for your support and thank you for listening to the podcast. Now let's head back to the show. Hello everyone and welcome back to Europe Alex. We are now very excited to have our first guest with us for this season. His name is Janne Rita Korpi. Welcome to the podcast, Janne. Thank you very much. Uh, hello everyone. Nice to be here. Janne is a political scientist at the University of Tampere and has a background in Finnish politics as well in the Centre Party. And you're with us today because Finland is holding the first round of its presidential elections by 28th of January, if I'm not mistaken. They happen once every six years. And this will be the first time in 12 years that we'll see a new president in Finland. So while some of our listeners will be following this very closely and have lots of knowledge about Finnish politics, it'd be good, Janne, to put your political scientist hat on and just explain, first of all, what the Finnish president does and sort of their role, I guess, both institutionally, but also in terms of the cultural significance of being elected president. And then also the electoral system for this, because I know that's something our listeners also will be nerdy about. So let's start there. Yes, in the Finnish constitution, it says that the foreign policy is led by the president in coordination with the government. So basically, the foreign policy is the president's main agenda. And the president is also the commander in chief of the Finnish defense forces. 
There are many uh, sectors of foreign policy. So in terms of uh, European Union, it's usually the government which decides European Union affairs. But uh, other foreign relations are in the president's uh, agenda. NATO is in the president's agenda and uh, bilateral relations with countries and also the defense policy. That's the main roles of the president. Otherwise, it's a semi-ceremonial role. The president has some uh, powers in domestic affairs, but uh, they have been reduced in recent uh, constitution changes over the last uh, couple of decades. So the president doesn't have that much power in domestic affairs anymore. Also, he is kind of a leading figure in some discussions. So, of course, the president can say his opinion on things and be a leader in that sense. But the actual political power in domestic affairs, that's up to the prime minister and the government. Thank you. I think that's very clear. And obviously, you did have parliamentary elections not too long ago and a change in government to the current coalition led by the centre-right. So in terms of the sort of basics of how this campaign has shaped up. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's sort of shaping up to be a two-horse race already with the two sort of frontline candidates. And again, there are lots more, but being Alexander Stubb, who's a former prime minister, very well known, I guess, to an international audience from National Coalition, which is the main center-right European People's Party member party in Finland. And on sort of the other side of the political spectrum, I guess, Pekka Havisto from the Finnish Green Party, who has a background as a foreign minister of Finland, and I believe also is sort of a veteran in terms of running in presidential campaigns. So would you say that it's right to say that the expectations is that those two will be the ones that go through? Because it's a two-round system, right? So unless someone gets yeah. more than half, it'll be between the two of them? Or do you think there are any other candidates in the mix? Yes, that's a two-round system. So we will have the first round in the 28th of this month and then the second round two weeks after that. It's a little bit changing at the moment. Uh, we haven't had many polls in January. Actually, we just got the first poll yesterday. All the other previous polls, they have been from December. So the differences between the candidates have uh, shrinken. The lead of the two candidates is actually smaller in the poll that we got yesterday. We still have the two frontrunners, but it's not as clear as it was before Christmas. So we clearly have uh, like uh, five candidates with a reasonable chance at getting to the second round. So actually, it's quite exciting and uh, interesting at the moment. It's definitely not a two-horse race anymore. We already have the pre-voting. It's going. A lot of votes have already been casted over the last couple of days. And we have more polls uh, coming next week. So we don't really know what the situation is at the moment. But uh, Alexander Stupp is still leading in the polls. And Pekka Havisto, who is running for the third time, as you mentioned, he's second. And then there is uh, Jussi Hallaho from the Finns party and uh, Oli Rehn from the Centre party. Hallaho is the is the chairman of the Finnish parliament at the moment. And uh, Oli Rehn is the head of the Finnish bank and uh, former European commissioner. And then we have also the current European commissioner, Jutta Urpilainen, from the Social Democrats. According to the polls, they all have a reasonable chance at getting to the second round. It might actually be quite tight. 
And comparing to other elections, for example, six years ago, the election was uh, clear from the start. The incumbent Sauli Niinistö was so ahead in the polls and actually won it in the first round, got over 50% of the votes. Six years after now, uh, when Niinistö is not able to run, he is very popular and has been very good president for 12 years. And uh, now it's very interesting. And uh, I think a lot of Finnish people, they have really gotten into this election and gotten excited about it. It's going to be interesting. And whoever is going to be in the second round, a lot of things can happen because they don't get into the second round with uh, 40% of the votes or 45. They get there with 25 or 20% of the vote. They will need a lot of votes from the other parties to win in the second round. So anything can happen. Okay, Janne, I will have two questions to you to open up like more like the local context of these elections. So on the one hand, there's like this current government in Finland that consists from the center of right parties, which also includes like the Finns party. So I wonder like what are the like equations in domestic politics right now? Like what does the electorate think? Like do they want to, for example, elect a president that could counterbalance this government in the parliament or like what are like the feelings because Alexander Stubb is also from the National Coalition Party just as the senior member of the coalition at the moment so what's going on in the domestic arena in general the domestic politics and the, the government opposition in Finland that doesn't reflect so much in these elections I think Finnish people understand that they are electing in this uh, very turbulent time. We are next to Russia and uh, what's going on in the world. We are electing a person to lead Finnish foreign and defense policy and the commander-in-chief of the Finnish Defense Forces. Fortunately, we have nine candidates in total. They are all veteran politicians. They have good background. They have had important uh, jobs and responsible jobs in the past, and they all represent quite similar. There are some little differences, but quite similar views in defense and foreign policy. We don't have a pro-Russia candidate or anything like that. Everyone is committed to NATO and uh, to Western values and democracy and helping Ukraine to defend itself. But what the Finns are looking for are a person that they can rely on if there is a crisis. So definitely there is a crisis mode, not like panic or anything like that. But we know what's going in the world and uh, we know that the president is very, very important in terms of uh, security and foreign policy. In the presidential campaign, not so much about the domestic affairs more about the personality of the candidates and their experience to lead Finland in difficult times. Of course, the journalists in all these uh, media appearances, they ask a lot of questions and there are some domestic questions that the candidates uh, are often asked. And there are differences, of course, because they all come from different parties and there are some big domestic issues in Finnish politics at the moment, and they play a part in this election, of course, but not the most significant part. Thank you for your response. Actually, it brings me to my second question, which is going to be concerning the foreign policy. So, for example, as a part of an English-speaking audience, so I've seen like one of the frontrunners, Alexander Stubb, he's currently employed at the European University Institute in Florence, 
and on their YouTube channel he has this video series called Geopolitics with Alex. So for example there, I was watching all these videos with like a genuine curiosity and he showcases some solid understanding of foreign policy and defense matters and geopolitics in general. So I wonder whether like this somehow affected like his polls and what about like other candidates, how they were able to showcase their understanding of foreign policy and defense issues during the campaign. I think all the main main candidates who have a shot at the presidency and the second round, they have demonstrated that they have very good knowledge of foreign policy. And uh, also they have had many international responsibilities. Pekka Haavisto is the foreign minister, Olli Rehn, former European commissioner, former vice president of the European Commission, Jutta Urpilainen, current European commissioner. All the main candidates, they are very good at foreign policy and uh, they have demonstrated that in several interviews. I don't think that that's the main reason for Alexander Stubb's lead in the polls. He's not that better in foreign policy or anything than the other main candidates. I think the fact that he leads is because he comes from the Prime Minister Party and uh, that is leading the general opinion polls as well and uh, won the last elections. So it's quite obvious that he has been leading the polls. All the candidates, they are very experienced in these matters. For us Finns, that's a good thing. Whoever we elect is able to handle the demanding task of the president. But it's, of course, up to the person what everyone thinks is the best one to do it. But nothing bad will happen if any one of these will be elected. So they have a very good background in foreign policy, all of them. Well, I could add one small thing that, as I mentioned, people are getting excited about these elections. Also, historically, the presidential elections have had always the highest turnout in Finnish elections, even though the parliamentary elections, they are much more important. The government has much more power than the president. But uh, especially now, when we have, have had very popular president, president who led us into NATO, for example, and uh, has demonstrated uh, calmness and uh, very good leadership during the last years in terms of uh, leading the foreign policy and the defense policy. Everything's going on in Ukraine and uh, Russia next to us and everything. We have had very good presidents. So my point is that uh, the turnout will be high. This election interests and uh, we haven't had many polls, as I mentioned. So it's still up in the crap. So it's going to be very exciting. Yeah, I think that's it. Thank you, Janne. Thank you very much. Uh, hello, everyone. Nice to be here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the EuropeLex podcast, which is hosted by me, Gabriel Hedengren, and Javid Ibad. Our producer and audio engineers were Leonardo Basso and Joao Reis. The script was written by our hosts and our writing team, Eric Balonwu and Thomas Stokes. The music was by Jose Alvarado, and everything we do would be impossible without our patrons on Patreon. So thank you very much. Please do follow us to stay up to date with European politics. You find us across every social media platform you can imagine, but mainly Twitter slash X, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. You can also find us online at europelex.eu and at europelex is the way to find us on all those social media accounts, except for Instagram, at which we are at europe underscore elect. Also, if you have any ideas for segments, any thoughts on topics we should be covering, or if you just want to say hi, shoot us an email at podcast at europolex.eu.
Thank you all so much again and see you next time.